Well, then when we open our OnlyFans, it'll be important to have that following too. <laughs> we would crush. That's all I'm going to say. What? We would crush. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, definitely crush. We already have our first cover photo. Welcome to this week's episode of our podcast. <laughs> yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a little uh, beautiful where Ty is. He had a long commute today. It's a little stormy where I am. Other than that, it's nice and comfy and cozy. So what's up, Ty? Oh, you know, not, not too much. Just living the dream out here on this beautiful island that I'm living on. What uh, hemisphere are you in? I believe this is the northeastern corridor. Got it. I also believe you just made that up. I did. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't think so. Just made that one completely up. That's all right. Is it called uh, the living room or the at-home office? This is called the $400 chair that I bought for work. Oh, nice. I hope they reimbursed you for that one. They actually did. Yeah, that's why no I got away. Yeah, they gave us all a $400 stipend for work from home stuff. Yeah. Just bought a chair. <laughs> chair. That's great. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about how to vet a coach or trainer or how to find a gym for you. And then we're going to talk about tracking. And that is around nutrition mostly. We can talk about fitness a little bit, but I think talking about nutrition will be our primary target. And then we have a book review. Yes, yes, we do. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yes. Nice. All right. So Ty, who was your first fitness coach that you remember? The first fitness coach that I remember. Um, hmm. I'm trying to go back on this one. I would take it all the way back to high school. When I was in high school, I did P90X. Oh, nice. That's Tony Horton. Tony Horton. He's the first fitness coach that I remembered. Obviously not in real life, but virtually. Uh, I thought you might have gone to like high school weight room with Vitri. I was going to say Vitri as well. We did that workout at CrossFit Westchester. I was torn. I don't know. I wouldn't say any at a, when we went to CrossFit Westchester, since we, you know, we weren't like members there. They weren't coaches for us. Right. Right. I don't know if that would really count, but uh, the the first person that I was maybe inspired by, I guess, would be, I guess, Tony Horton via right. the CDs, and then Vitri in high school definitely. Um, but then yeah, I didn't really get like an actual coach until later after high school. I think my answer would probably be the same. So Vitri in high school, but. It took me probably two or three experiences to realize that coaching was bad in high school. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time in hindsight, it definitely It wasn't the worst, right? It could have been worse. There were people there who specialized in strength and conditioning, which was kind of cool. Well, so I appreciated that it wasn't just my football coach or baseball coach or swim coach just writing things and telling me to do stuff. And there was some oversight. 
Yes. I mean, I would just stop and just say the fact that we had a strength and conditioning class yeah. is pretty damn cool in and of itself, regardless right. of like what was going on in it. The fact that we had that option is pretty cool. So you brought up strength and conditioning coach, right? So that's a certification. Yeah. So one of the notes that I had is how to vet a coach, what certification, if any, do they have? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I Certifications are definitely, you know, you don't want to put too much weight in a certification because anybody, anybody can study and pass a certification exam. It, all it says is that you put time into the thing that you're at least interested enough, you're at least passionate enough to pay the fee and study for the test. And anybody can do that. So I don't wanna to put too much weight into a certification, but it at least says you do have some base level of interest and assuming knowledge as well, so if you pass the test. Yep, so the CSCS is cool because that requires a bachelor's degree. So nobody can have that that doesn't have at least a bachelor's degree. In anything, though. I'm sorry? In anything. It could be in anything, yeah, correct. But one of the things that I think is interesting is as far as I'm aware, the only training certification, at least major training certification, that requires hands-on observation of training is the CrossFit cert, the level one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I do have my CSCS uh -huh. and that didn't require anything other than taking a test. Really. That's all it requires yep. is you having that bachelor's degree and then you taking a test and passing the test. Yeah. So, so in theory, you could not, you could have a bachelor's degree in like, I don't know, something completely unrelated psychology, maybe. Yeah. And then you don't even study and you just get really lucky and take the test and you pass and you could have C for everything. And now you're a trainer. Yeah, in theory, you probably so, wouldn't pass the test if you didn't know anything. <laughs> so you have the NASM, right? The National Academy of Sports Medicine. You have ACE, which is American Council of Exercise. And there are a few more like that, but you're right. The only barrier to entry is a wallet and some time. Yes. Now in the level one, they have you actually coach. They watch you coach, but you coaching someone is not part of the assessment. Right. The assessment is just a test at the yep. end, multiple choice test, which so is the CSCS. It's just a multiple yep. choice test. Um, it, that's interesting though. So for the CSCS, you do have to put in a considerable more amount of time to study for the test. I would argue that for the CrossFit level one, at least from my perspective, when I took it, you could just show up and pay attention and you would be, they would teach you everything you need to know. Yep. So on the one hand, CSCS, it's just time. On the other hand, CrossFit level one is a lot less time because it's only two days, but you do have that hands-on component. So it's, it's kind of like if, if the CrossFit level one was like a month long course yeah, or like a, a semester that you had to take in college, that would be like the ideal type of uh, certification, right? Yeah. So one of the continuing education training that I did was through the Kilgore Academy, Lon Kilgore. He's just like an exercise physiologist. I say just like he's a pretty well accomplished exercise physiologist. And to get my credits, I had to videotape myself coaching, reflect on my performance and submit it for credit. That's awesome. 
yeah, I thought it was pretty nifty. And they graded it really fast online. That's interesting. Um, I just realized as we're saying this, though, we totally forgot about the OPEC certification as well. Yeah, so I wanted to bring that up too, because I know that it exists and I know that they look at your programming, but I don't know if they look at your coaching. So I did do the OPEC certification and what was the reason why it just came to me is because I said like a semester course in college, which yeah. essentially is what the OPEX course is. It takes you, it could take you anywhere from three to six or nine months. You go at your own pace, but it is a, a big time investment. They look at your programming, like you said, and there is, if I recall correctly, there's at least one, at least one scenario where you have to video yourself walking somebody through an assessment and like kind of leading them through this. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's coaching. Although I guess kind of, you're just walking them through a movement assessment and sure. kind of guiding them through it, but it's, you're not coming up with the movement assessment. It's very basic movements. All the cues are like given to you, like what you're looking for. So I don't know if that's coaching per se, but you do have to videotape yourself interacting with a client and all that. Yeah. I, and I don't want to write off classical traditional college education. Um, but to me, looking back over time, I would rather spend money on an OPEX cert and two or three other really niche in-depth certifications and even some training on business instead of going to school for exercise science. 100%. Let me be clear. We both went for exercise science. And I would argue that that was one of the poorest decisions of my life. <laughs> but I would say uh, it definitely gives you a foundation, at least yeah. in certain things, it gives you a different perspective to look at things, yep. right? Instead of just relying solely on your, what's it called? Um, just like your experience in the gym, what you see, anecdotal stuff. Mm -hmm. Instead of just relying on that, you kind of have more of a scientific like background. And they do teach you, right? Because you have principles of strength and conditioning and there are different categories of college classes to teach you. But I think they're drastically spread thin because it has to fit a 15 week curriculum. Yes. There were two courses that I thought were really good that we took. One was a biomechanics course. And the other one that I really liked, I forget what it was called, but it was the one that like preps you for the CSCS. It had a, what's his name? Ed, Ed was the professor's first name. I can't remember his last name, but it was like a strength and conditioning course basically. Right. And I thought that was maybe the best course, but like you're saying, I would rather have gone to school for business. Yeah. Got an OPEX cert. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that would have been the best way to go personally. Yep. So in my opinion, the coach has to have a credential. I don't care what it is, but for them to be insured, they need to show a base minimum level of experience. And that is a current certification. Yes, I agree. I think that's fair. So what's the next thing that matters to you? If you're meeting someone off the street, you're doing a, a free intro with them. You're sitting down and talking to them, deciding whether you should work with them or not. Uh, so I have a couple of things here. I, nothing, it's nothing too hard. Like you were just getting at with a certification, mm -hmm. but also I think equally important. 
And one of the things I have listed here are basically, do they come across as someone who is basically a know-it-all or open-minded? Yeah. You know, I think, I don't remember exactly what, what, how the saying goes, but it's something along the lines of, you know, the more you, the closer you get to being a master at something, the more you realize that you don't know anything about it. Yeah. And I think that's really, that really rings true, at least in the sense of being, like I said, open-minded. So when I see somebody in any discipline, but, you know, we'll stick to the gym saying that there's only one way to do something or this is the best program or the only, you know, approach or fix to your problems. That's when I start. That's a red flag for me. That's a huge red flag, regardless of what it is. Even if I agree that the thing that they're saying is a good thing, you just have to be, you have to be aware enough that it's not the only thing and it's not appropriate a hundred percent of the time in all scenarios with everybody. So I'm going to put a word to it. I'm going to use the word rigidity. Okay. So if they have one program, one diet, one exercise, that's how it is. That's how it's always going to be. I agree with you. I can't like express this enough across all industries because different people, different program, different diet, different body type. There's so many things that go into it. There are like, I would argue that there are principles of strength and conditioning that are true all the time, no matter what principles right but how you handle those principles is up to you so i think that you should also have the availability if this person is training people i think having them be open to you talking to their other trainees is a green flag that was on my list too not how you articulated it but more so what are their uh other trainees what are they saying and how are they yeah testimony not necessarily anything formal but Mm -hmm. you know if you have a chance to interact with them how are they like are they very positive about their experience are they negative just in general like might not be directly associated to the trainer but it could you know it could be part of it yeah and i i would like to point out too that people tend to stick with people of their own kind right so if i go to a gym and people look and act like me maybe that works out, but don't let that stop you from working with a good trainer or a good coach. Yeah. You know, just because you don't feel like you fit in immediately doesn't mean you don't actually fit in. So your commonality with people is that you like to be healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one thing that almost everyone should be able to get find in common. Yeah. Agreed. So, I mean, I had a couple other notes down, like uh, how healthy is your trainer? That's important to me. That's super important. I think if I'm picking myself a trainer, I'm absolutely going to look at a, like how do they look and how are they living their life? You know? Yeah. That's, I think that's more important to me. How are they living their life? If they have a gut, you know, or they're overweight, I don't really care so much as long as I know that they have a movement practice. Yeah. Well also like where are they coming from too? They might have a gut, but it might be a much smaller gut than a year ago. Right. And that's something I'll never know until I commit already. You wouldn't. Yeah. But finding out what they do is super important. I would be lying if I said that I didn't look at how they physically appear because that's a fairly good indication of how somebody is doing. But also there's, there's plenty of people who look super healthy and are just like hopped up on like soda and candy all day. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
yeah for real so so from there i would i would put that into a professionalism category right so do they walk the walk a little bit yeah do they are they non-rigid you know do they sound like people you could have a cup of coffee with on friday or thursday you know someone you would actually want to hang out with um what do their clients have to say about them how do their clients look and then i put cost i want somebody for me they have to be above cheap i don't necessarily want to pay so if i'm working with a trainer one-on-one tie like you're my trainer i don't want you to say oh it's it's 20 bucks an hour for a personal training session if yeah. you work at a globo gym and i'm paying the globo gym and they're like oh it's 20 dollars an hour for personal training I'm a little more likely to lean on that because it's a big corporate blah, blah, blah entity. But if there's an individual trainer training that much, you know, this isn't, they can't make a living off of that. Yeah, for sure. They can't make a living off of that. I think price is a fair one to include. I would, that would be the same. I don't know how somebody who doesn't know anything about the industry would perceive that, but I would definitely be looking bare minimum, anybody charging like 60 or 70 bare minimum. Yeah. Like that's true for that top end. I don't want anyone coming in telling me it's going to be, you know, $200 an hour for the first, whatever, you know, too expensive to me means that this person, they're not for me. They're not my kind of trainer. Yeah. Also. Yeah, for sure. There could be some sort of business practice going on there where they know you're not going to stick around. So they're just trying to get as much out of you in a couple sessions as they can who knows but yeah there's a sweet spot there's a sweet spot for price and for me it's probably somewhere between that 60 to 100 yeah you know yeah that's exactly what i would want to pay i mean it's a little different like a business mentor i could see the rate being a little bit higher for like one-on-one time yeah Um, but you can't buy back your health you can't it's impossible so this is more of an investment in yourself than it is a cost like, Oh, I have to pay $70 an hour for two or three days a week. Like you can literally regain five, 10, 15 years of your life from working with a good coach. And if you work with a bad coach, you can lose it. Yeah. And there's one more thing I would put into the professionalism category that we kind of touched on already kind of deals with open-mindedness, but I'll just throw it in there. And that is, if there are other trainers in the gym or if there are other gyms nearby, how does that, how does your trainer talk about those? Oh, that's a great point. You know what I mean? Great point. What is their relationship like with those people, but not necessarily, they don't have to be buddy, buddy, but how do they speak of their peers? Basically, if there's somebody who's just talking down on everybody else in their gym or more likely other gyms around them, then that's a red flag for me anyways. It's not open-minded. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, it has that know-it-all feel to it. And in any profession, that's not, that's not a professional way to carry yourself. No, that's a scarcity mindset. Yeah, exactly. A scarcity mindset. So that's something that I would say you're looking for a more evolved trainer. And as an adult, I feel like I want a trainer who's a grown up like me, you know, yeah. I say like me, like I don't, like watching cartoons and eating cereal on a Saturday morning. But I, I want somebody who's a little bit uh, just more relaxed, low key. Yeah. And I think, I think if you're listening to this and you're saying, okay, well, how exactly do any of these things tie into someone being a good trainer or not? 
like you could be a great trainer and talk really bad about everybody, right? Yeah. Why, why can't you have both? But I think just from our personal experiences, we each have about 10 years in this industry, just being around, you notice correlations and that's yeah. all it is. These are just correlations that we're picking up on. Generally the good trainers and the good coaches tend not to talk bad about people all the time behind their backs and stuff like that. I would say I would put them in the best category. Yeah. Right. Because if you worry about what other people are doing, you're not focusing on your own, you know, you don't need to, to be like that. Yeah. To be the best. Yeah. So I, I agree with, with, uh, with our list here, having a certification, not being super rigid. Um, what are their clients? How are they acting? What are they saying? How are they feeling? And you know, that open, uh, not talking bad about your peers, basically. Yeah, how they are, interact with their peers. That's a pretty good list, right? That's a solid list. And I'm going to start paying attention to those things every time I, I'm with a client. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. That's great. Well, that's a perfect segue to our sponsor, Training by Ty and Anth. If you're looking for a great trainer or a great coach, send us an email at the link in the bio, and we'll get you all set up with some programming or some virtual training. Absolutely. Or we'll fly to wherever you are and personal train you three days a week on our private jet. Yeah, that just requires you to buy us a private jet. <laughs> Listen, the price is right. <laughs> exactly. Or you could come come to me on this beautiful island that I'm on right now. In the northern northeastern corridor. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll supply the chair. <laughs> All right, let's talk about nutrition a little bit. So this is... I think that in my life, I struggle most with nutrition and I try to compare myself to the ultimate nutrition and I fall flat when I should be looking at the majority of people in the world where I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, for sure. I think if you're somebody who is just, you know, quote unquote, a health junkie in any sense of the word, uh, you're probably doing better than the majority of the world when it comes to nutrition. Just because you're probably at least aware of what you're, yep, you know, but I would agree a hundred percent. If we've been doing this for a little over 10 years, the first like seven, I had almost zero focus on nutrition at all. It was just all the exercise and the training, yeah. uh, thinking that that was all that was necessary. And then definitely over the past two years, maybe three, but certainly over the past like two years, I've just become way more into the nutrition side. Still, I struggle with it. It's still the biggest thing I struggle with, and I'm not an expert, but I've definitely started to take it more seriously, and I wish I had been doing that the whole time. <laughs> Do you track your meals? I love this. So I saw the question that you wrote was tracking. Do it or don't? And my immediate response was yes, actually, which maybe be might be a little um controversial to some people yeah i would say for me tracking was huge now i know tracking like my fitness pal is a great source you can if something has a barcode you can scan it it pops up if it doesn't have a barcode you can still type it in and search for it type in apple it'll tell you how much is in an apple how many carbs fats proteins so my fitness pal using that not necessarily to restrict yourself if you're trying to get started with tracking here, but instead 
literally just tracking what you are consuming, just so you know what you're yep. consuming. And so that's always my first piece of advice with anybody getting into nutrition is just record what you're taking in. Don't alter what you're taking in. Try not to let it influence you in any way, but just record it. Eat that cookie and write it down. It's and okay. It, down. it is absolutely fine. And if you do that, I mean, minimum should be a week. But if you're just getting started and nutrition seems like a this daunting thing, then try to do that. It could be for a month. Who cares? Just yeah. get used to recording it so you know what's coming in. And then you can make decisions from there. That's my, yep. my personal view on it. Yeah, when I look at this and I talk to our clients about it, we talk about awareness first. So you're aware of what you do. And normally you eat about the same thing every week, pretty yep. similarly. So once a quarter, we try to recommend a two-week stint of everything, but only once a quarter. Okay. So what do you mean? track everything that you oh, eat. track everything Got yep it. so if you're if you're doing it more often that can lead to excessive and unhealthy behavior and you're just checking in with yourself for example with exercise too you should take a week off once a quarter just straight up off no gym you can go outside be active just leave clear your head get a different perspective and clear it out so i put together a a stepwise approach that i want to walk through with you and see how you feel about it so um, so we, I put first thing, same as you, what foods are you eating? Just the name, not the amount. Okay. Apple, peanut butter, bread, uh, taco from fast from Taco Bell. So foods is the most, is the most simple first step and you can do it on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So my next step would be to measure out or pay attention to total number of calories or how much of each food you're eating. Yeah, I agree. I think that's good. I think when I was just speaking here, I was talking about step number two, but yeah. I do agree that step number one is even a better place to start. Yeah. And that can be as simple as you take out your phone and you just take a picture of everything that you eat. It doesn't tell you how much it doesn't tell you. Well, actually it does tell you when, cause all pictures are time stamped because technology actually Zuckerberg could probably tell you what you're eating better yeah. than you could. Yeah. Google, uh, picture analytics ai can probably tell you how many, what your macro splits exactly. are should, exactly you just write to google about this but so total calories is going to be like the next step for me and when we talk about how much when you first start tracking don't care exactly it doesn't matter just exactly. pay attention to it and the thing is like that's interesting is because it, there are when it comes to calories there's always these arbitrary recommendations that are out there of how many calories you should be eating, but it can vary so much from person to person. Even, mm -hmm. even if you have the same body type or even if you're similarly active as well, how you've conditioned your body over the past, however old you are, yeah, <laughs> all those years, right? If you're 20, I'm 28, how I've conditioned my body over the past 28 years greatly determines the metabolism that I have right now. So I might be better on 2,200 calories. Somebody who maybe looks like me and is similarly active, that person might need 3,200 calories, but it's like, you know, a lot of these recommendations are arbitrary. So when you're tracking to yep. see how many calories you're consuming, don't worry what it says. Yeah, the more generic the recommendation, like the less applicable it is to you. Yes eat 2000 calories a day. 
why I'm active. I'm not active. I work out. I don't work out, you know. So total calories is the first thing that we're actually going to pay attention to. So when we talk about foods, if that's where you stop your journey, my only recommendation, and this is going to be a, a constant, is more veggies. Just make sure every picture you have has something that's a vegetable. Now, when we talk about total calories, same thing. I want, I want to start seeing some vegetables in there. That's like, if you eat a lot of vegetables, you're going to be a healthy individual. Yeah, chances are, right? Yeah, yeah. So then after we're talking about quantity, how many calories a day is right for you? There are a million and one calculators out there. It doesn't matter which one you use. Just stick to the same one for precision, not necessarily accuracy. Yeah. What do you think about this, though, going back to what I was just saying? You don't know how many calories you're eating. You don't know how many calories you should be eating. But you start tracking and you, you figure out how many you are eating. You mm -hmm. still don't know how much you should, though. And so maybe let's just go with the easiest goal is to lose weight. I would argue that you don't even need a calculator. Yeah. You simply look at what it is that you're consuming. You know that you've been eating 3,000 calories a day and just aim for start off with like 200 less. Yeah. Ten, a 10% 10 decrease is a solid move. Yeah. So I would argue you don't necessarily even need a tracker or a calculator. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, if, cause I, I've, I've tried them in the past and I, you get so many different results, like you're saying, which is why you got to use the same one. You're not even sure if that one makes any sense though. I think instead of going from not knowing how much you're eating to whatever the calculator says, you're going to have better luck figuring out what you're eating and just lowering it. If that's yeah. yeah, for sure. That is definitely a better next step than what I, than what I described. So it's simpler, just eat less and your weight will go down, eat more and your weight will go up. Mm -hmm. And I would say, don't even worry about a daily total. I would worry about a weekly total when we're looking at the big picture. Yeah, I agree. I think daily total helps you keep on track for yep. that weekly total. But if you vary by a couple hundred over one day and then a couple hundred under another day, like that's totally fine. It's, it's normal, normal there. <laughs> things that get in the way uh, now human with that when we're tracking amounts right it'll give us a calorie number i think that using these stupid and i'm going to say stupid smart watches is making people go insane because you track a workout and you're like oh i only burned 40 calories now i have to eat and change don't look at it just do the exercise track your food, and then you'll be in a better headspace. Yeah, I can't speak to those trackers because A, I don't use them. I've never have. And B, I'm just not super up on how accurate they are. You know, I imagine at, at this point, I would imagine some of them are getting kind of accurate. Yeah, <laughs> I would hope. But I just think that there's so much variability in that, that it's really hard to know if you actually burned 97 calories or maybe you only burned 40 or maybe you burned 200, you know, it's like, I don't know. Well, we have a little bit of this to talk about in our, in our, in next week's episode, but 
when you exercise, you may only burn 100 calories during that exercise, but you increase your metabolic load over 24 hours to recover and replenish. So that doesn't tell you how many calories you'll continue to burn from recuperation. Right. And so go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so paying attention to how much you're eating and if you want to lose weight, just eat less and a small margin less. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how, how in depth we were planning on going with this, but maybe it's worth just like mentioning. Mm-hmm. Similar to what you just said about exercise, you know, it might say you only burned 100, but you're going to increase your metabolic load, you're going to burn more, whatever. So with diet, similar, I mean, and exercise has the same effect on your metabolism overall, is your meta- your rate of metabolism, it changes over time. Oh my, yeah, so, over days and weeks. Over days and weeks, but also if you've been eating exactly... 2300 calories for the past 12 months you've Mm -hmm. been eating that every day i guarantee your metabolism after that 12 months looks different than it did before if before you were eating like 3000 or Mm -hmm. or 1600 whatever so you've conditioned your metabolism to burn at a different rate if you know if you will burn so that's important to note so when you take off your 10 percent reduction initially and you hang out there for maybe a couple months then you stop seeing your progress well that's kind of what's going on is your metabolism has changed it's not the same as it was when you first took off 10 percent. yeah and exercise is the same thing so if you're constantly exercising at a similar load and intensity all the time your metabolism has adjusted to that and now you know it's not really having the same effect as when you started so yeah, i yeah. think that's just important to note That's why calories in, calories out. Some people get really, you know, it's a trend to say that calories in, calories out isn't a real thing. Yeah. But I think what they're getting at is this concept of your metabolism will change over time. And so it'll it'll look like calories in, calories out isn't working. But what happened was the metabolism changed. Yeah, so this is an important pro tip at this point, what I had on my notes at the bottom to talk about after is that if you are insured, which most people are, there's a pretty good likelihood that your insurance will cover a dietitian's visit. Now I'm not saying that this is an end all be all, just like coaches, dietitians, they have a certification and a credential, but they're good and bad. They're good and bad doctors, good and bad plumbers we're just protected because they have a certification, right? So use, call up your insurance and see if they'll give you a free session with your dietitian. Maybe they do a blood draw, they check your biomarkers, they check your body fat composition, they check your weight. It's, a, it's an objective place to start. And in three, six, nine, 12 months, use that service again. It's prob- I'm serious, it's probably free. I, I think that's awesome. I never... I never thought of looking into that myself, but I think that's awesome. Yeah. And we, you know, sometimes we have people who don't want to do nutrition coaching today or tomorrow, the next month. And I always tell them just like, do it. It's literally free. There's no reason not to. Yeah. My mom, about a year ago, I think my mom went to, I don't think she went to a dietitian, but she just went to her doctor Mm -hmm. and they do blood work, you know, and then she does some blood work and, uh, a lot of the markers they gave her this like test it was like digital on her phone so she got all the results on her phone and 
a good bit of the markers were like not good. They were in red. And so at that time she asked me like, what can she do for her diet? I gave her super basic stuff with diet, like a super basic approach. I did, we didn't go into tracking even at all. It was mostly quality of food Mm -hmm. and a little bit of quantity just because I knew that she wasn't quite getting enough of certain things, but nothing crazy. It was super basic. And then all of a sudden she goes back six months later, gets that blood test again and everything's in the green. Wow. It's like, so something as simple as the blood work, it, it may or may not be an accurate predictor of your mortality, but you know, it's definitely a peace of mind. So yeah. when you go and get that blood work done. Well, you could go, did she lose weight? No, no, no. She didn't have weight really to lose. Right. So she did a new diet for a certain amount of time and saw no body composition change. Yeah. No body. But on the inside, her biomarkers, you would argue now that she's healthier than she's ever been. But if she took before and after pictures, if she took her measurements, there's no change. So yeah, yeah. it's important to have those additional pieces of data. If you're a data-driven kind of person, I guarantee she feels better. I guarantee she's sleeping better just because her body is functioning more effectively. Yeah. And just like, you know, our parents are in their fifties, you know, in the sixties. Right. And it's like, when you get to be that age and you go to the doctor and they tell you that a lot of markers aren't looking good, that's not really a, you know, you don't feel great there. You know, you start to worry about those things. Maybe right now, if somebody told you your blood pressure was high at 28, you wouldn't worry too much about it maybe, but when you're 58, you'd start to worry. So it's nice to uh, have that peace of mind. Yeah, food tastes really good with a lot of salt on it. So my blood pressure is... uh... It really does. So after, so I have foods, then quality or quantity, I'm sorry, total number of calories. And then the next step for me would be starting to talk to macros. Now, what's important to know is we will not move on to macros until you prove that it is easy for you to track your foods. And then it's easy for you to track your total number of calories. Macros, now we're starting to dial things in and you're getting good at paying attention to what you're eating. Yep. So this is a skill that could take nine months to get to. So what, what is a macro? A macro, you have protein, carbs, fat. Protein, four calories per gram, same for carbs. Fat is nine or more than double. And then you have like alcohol and like fiber is like a different category, but you shouldn't use alcohol to track your macros, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully if you're tracking your macros, you're not consuming large amounts of alcohol also. <laughs> I did read this study about an exercise physiologist at some university. He put on weight and then he lost weight on beer and Pringles just to prove that seco calories in calories out is a thing. So yeah. he, you can do it. I wouldn't advise it, but you could do it. Yeah. So no, I think that's a good point though. The macro thing is a whole nother level of detail. And yeah. if you, like you do have to, I've been there. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's hard for me. So like, I know what it's like to track almost everything, yeah. but not count that extra scoop of peanut butter or whatever it might be. So you're a non, you would avoid it. You just wouldn't write it down. Well, I mean, I've been there. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, you're tracking and you're trying to go with tracking macros mm-hmm. and you lose sight of the calories, then 
yeah, you're not going to see the progress that you think that you're hoping, you know, if you're not being really meticulous about it, it's pointless. If you're not tracking absolutely everything, you might be tracking nothing. So I, I agree. So generic recommendation here, just like 2000 calories a day, the easiest way to start for macros, 30% of your calories should be from protein. 30% of your calories should be from fat. 40% should be from carbohydrates. So on a 2000 calorie diet, that's 600 calories of protein and fat, 800 calories of carbohydrates. Yeah. So this is where things start to get contentious because you have the keto people and the low carb people and the intermittent fasting people and the carnivore carnivarians carnivorous just I mean I'm okay carnivorous and then you have like the zone people so the reason I go 30 30 40 is because that will work for most people most of the time yeah, definitely. Um, Talk yeah. to me about macros for keto. Yeah, so like I am a keto intermittent faster and by definition low carb as well, since that's keto. Uh, but I'm not like super uh, religious about it, I guess you would say. But what I would say is keto is, there's different recommendations for what the carb intake can be it ranges the most extreme versions seem to range like 30 grams of carb per day that's that's the most extreme that i've seen yeah that's like less than 10 percent of your total caloric load oh definitely and then uh i i go up to 100 for myself personally Mm -hmm. just being just knowing that i'm active and i'm in the gym all the time so I, go, I give myself the leeway to go up to 100. I usually land somewhere around like 70. Cool. And I've only been doing this, by the way, for about five mm. weeks, maybe. Yeah. Keto part of it. And then the rest of my, I get about 100 and maybe 120. I'd have to check and see exactly what it was. Uh, fat and about 170. And those are grams? Grams, yeah. And then about 170 in um, protein. You're pretty low calorie. Yeah, like I, the numbers I've been saying about 22 to 2300 this whole episode, that's kind yeah. of where I land. Yeah, it's about 20, probably 2300 on an average day. Yeah, and looking at you, I would say that 23 is right, but those numbers sound low. Maybe they are. I have to like, so I use my fitness pal mm-hmm. tracker and I at this point, I just know, like, I have the meals that I eat are actually saved. Same meals all the time. Yeah, so I don't have to actually pay attention to the <laughs> tracking part of it. Yes. I, just go, I can go in there, and I have my keto lunch set up already, so I just click keto lunch. Perfect. And I, it's the same all the time. So I don't really look closely anymore at what the splits are exactly. So, I mean, we could look right now. So on keto, um, the protein, when I look at it, should stay relatively unchanged. We're talking maybe up to 40%. So that's still on 2200, that's like 900 calories of protein. Yeah. So if you shoot that too high and you're keto, that's not really true keto. Keto is just carbs down, fat up. Yeah. 
Okay, so here's a, I actually have one of my, it's, it's changed slightly in the past two weeks, but the actual split, this is 2234, 2,234 calories. Yep. It is 85 grams of carbs, 165 fat, and 174 protein. Nice. So, and I think it gives you, can even give you like a pie chart breakdown of your yeah. calories. Although I'm struggling to figure that out right now, but I don't know. I can't figure that out. Anyways, that's kind of, that's the split that I'm on and it might not be true keto, although maybe it is. I'm not sure. Cause I was eating roughly 170 grams of proteins before but maybe that's just too much either way. I don't, I don't know. For me, it feels right. So that's what I go with. I weigh about 180. So I go with a hundred and somewhere between a hundred and on the low end 50 and on the high end, like 190. Those where I've been over the past, like two years, I've fluctuated between those ranges, 150 pro grams of protein a day, gone up to as high as 190 a day, just with different diet, like experiments. Yeah. So then with your macros, do you play with percentages first or do you play with just total number of calories or what's the first thing you adjust if you're not making a composition change or are you on maintenance right now? I would say right now I'm probably on maintenance, but I would like to go leaner. So I got to change something eventually. Usually I start with the calories, like we said, so I'll just toggle the calories down. And then what I do is I try and make sure that I'm keeping protein consistent. Yeah. So if I want to have roughly one gram of protein per pound, so I'm going to be somewhere in that range, like I said. So right now I'm at 175. We'll keep it there. 175. So then what I would do is I would look at carbs since I'm doing keto and I would say, okay, well, I don't want my carbs to go over whatever it is. Let's call it, it said 85. Let's call it 85. So if that's going to be locked at 85 and protein is going to be locked at 175, then what do I got to do to fats to bring my total calories down by, let's call it 200. Yep. So what do I got to do there? And then that's how I would approach it. Yeah. And changing one variable at a time is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Also, it's simple. Yep. Um, and it definitely gives you more of an insight into what's working and what's not takes yeah. longer maybe but yeah so the last two steps that i have in place for my one two three four five five step plan to mastering diet is um changing the quality of the foods that you're eating and i specified on carbs because they're the easiest to have shitty carbs and good carbs and then even after that the, like the highest level is micros What's your micronutrient spread, which I would argue is a huge waste of time on that last step. But we're talking like the 80-20 principle, like what foods are you eating? That's going to help you the most. Then how much food are you eating is going to help you a little less, but still it's going to help. But once we get to tracking how much magnesium you have in your diet, you're a pro. This is beyond pro. You're a pro. And the, honestly, to be completely honest with you, the furthest I go with with micros mm -hmm. is I take a multivitamin. Yeah. Easy. That's One shot. I go with it. 
Yeah. So like when I talk about carbs, the difference between carbs, like you can have a good vegetarian and I call them like the pizza and French fries vegetarian. And then you can have like the rainbow salad at every meal vegetarian. They're both the same calorie wise. They're both identical energy nutrient wise, but the vitamins and the minerals are going to be way better if you're eating less dense higher volume carbs and that means more green and leafies and less potatoes and bread yes absolutely you end up i mean gorillas they're huge all they do is eat grass and leaves yeah i mean so that's got to mean something right i mean we're basically brothers we're 90 whatever seven percent i don't know i look like a gorilla it's fine (laughs) <laughs> so I, I the trick is to just be a vegan and just eat leaves and bamboo all day and then that'll get you nice and jacked so here's the thing i want to be a vegan so bad i hear you and i agree <laughs> i guess i could stop there i want to be a vegan so bad but i just feel like okay so this past week i googled how to get 180 grams of protein per day on a vegan diet I Googled that. You could probably Google it right now. And every single result that comes up, every single one is, well, actually you don't need that much protein. Right? They're just deflecting. Yeah, that's the answer every time. That's the answer every time. I Googled it. I clicked on at least five different links and I was like, this is ridiculous. Every first five links on Google, that's basically the entire internet that matters. It is. It is. So I was like, are you kidding me? And it turned me off completely. But I still really want to be a vegan because I get so sick of eating meat. I get sick of it. I genuinely get to a point where I don't enjoy it anymore. And I wish I didn't have to. So I was actually rewriting my diet earlier this morning. Mm -hmm. And I put in a lot more like these aren't the best choices, but trying to find non-meat options to get protein. So I put in more uh, like almonds, more eggs, more peanut butter, more cheese actually, Mm -hmm. and, and whey protein. And so I can actually minimize the amount of meat that I'm going to be eating next week. So that's nice. For me, it's purely ethical. I agree with the ethical part as well, 100%, which is why I would love to do it. But I also, I don't know, not my ego isn't happy enough to give up the protein yet. If I didn't care about the protein, I could do it easily. I could go down to 80 grams of protein a day. And I would probably lose some significant muscle mass doing that. And and my ego is just not ready for it. Yeah, your wife would definitely be stronger than you. She would. (laughs) She would. Well, um, let's, uh, let's do a little nutrition recap. Should you track? The question is, should you track what? Should you pay attention to the foods that you're eating? Absolutely. Should you pay attention to how many calories? Probably. How about your macro splits? If you've mastered the two previous, yes, but don't worry about the micros. Don't get caught up in the details. Tracking is good, especially for a little bit at a time because you eat the same things very often. So just being aware is the first step and it's going to get, get travel a long way and get a free nutrition appointment with a registered dietitian by calling your insurance. Yeah. That's perfect. I, I love that. I love the steps that you outlined, like the order to progress. And even though micro 
uh, the micros are like the ultimate tip of the pyramid, the, the highest level of, uh, I don't know, development there. Yeah, development, I, that's a good word. I would say just actually put them on the bottom and just take that multibyte. It's actually the hardest thing becomes the easiest thing if you just take a multibyte. It also isn't gonna change everything, so. Uh, your performance isn't gonna increase. <laughs> Based off the multibyte. <laughs> no. That's awesome. I like nutrition. I'm more and more fascinated by it as I age. And I say that as someone who's very young. So I imagine 20 years from now, hopefully I'm making more money and I can just pay someone to make all the decisions for me. Yes, I will say yes. But uh, just feeding off of the fascination with nutrition. Feeding off of it. Good word choice. Unintended. I myself, I would agree. I've become so much more into nutrition recently and it's just the biggest bang for your buck. We've talked about this before. So if your life definitely talk about it again. Yeah. And if your if your work life balance gets out of whack and you can't get in the gym as much as you used to, or you can't be as active or whatever this, that, the other thing, if you get your nutrition under control, it can, it's a buffer. It's a buffer. So I just, I can't say enough about it. You should definitely take it seriously if you're not already. All right. Yeah. On to our book review. Yeah. We're going to try a new segment where we talk about a book that we both read and actually got a pretty good impact from. Yes. So the book is The Four Agreements and I only read it recently uh, within the past year. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you. Oh, okay. I probably maybe even within the past six months, actually. But um, so, okay, we both read it recently. Mm-hmm. Fun side note, I read it in Spanish and I'm not fluent in Spanish. So there's a good chance that I missed a lot of the stuff. Although I felt like I got it. So we'll see. Uh, but that'll make for an interesting conversation. So um, for those of you who don't know, Don Miguel Ruiz is a, an, a Mexican author. And he is a spiritualist, and this is a fun word. He is an author of Toltec spiritualist and neo-shamanistic texts. 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 Yeah. Neo-shamanistic. That is a fun word. I like it. Yes. uh, uh, His Wikipedia article, which is completely factual all the time, says that he is the best received among the new thought movement and focuses on ancient teachings to achieve enlightenment. Awesome. So are you on his Wikipedia right now? I am. Just real quick. How many like other books does he have? Does it list them? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten books. Awesome. He should have stopped at four because that would have been a nice full square. I'd say full circle, but the four agreements. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to check them out because I really did like, I, the only one I've read is the four agreements and I really did like it. So mm-hmm. yeah. Do you want to get into it? Yeah. So I love books that you can distill into four lines. This one's perfect. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And that's why I liked it so much, but I didn't feel like he dragged on at all. He got to the point. He gave me the example. He made me feel guilty for breaking one of the four agreements every chapter and then he made me feel better saying that we just try our best. Yes, exactly. The last one, try your best. Um, all right, real quick, let's just 
say what the four agreements are just so everybody knows what they are. I'll say them in English. You say them in Spanish. Okay, great. Let me see if I remember exactly. Wait, you going to go? I'll go first. <laughs> okay. So the first one is be impeccable with your word. And that was say impeccable con tus palabras. Con tus palabras. Yeah. Okay. So number two is don't take anything personally. Yeah, I love this one actually. And it is no te tomes nada personalmente. I do like that one. Don't make assumptions, number three. No hagas suposiciones, I think. Suposiciones, I think is the word. And then finally, I already alluded to this one, always do your best. As siempre, lo máximo que puedas. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so those are the four agreements there. One thing I would say about this book is I tend to be somebody who, if you said those four things to me, like three years ago, I would have just gone like, yeah, no duh. And what's the big deal. But it's funny thing in life. Like sometimes things, when things hit you at a certain moment, yeah. it all depends on whether or not you're ready for that thing. You know, Serendipity. yeah. Timing matters for sure. So you could have said these things to me a hundred times over the past 10 years, would have got nothing out of it until I was in the right mental space to receive the, I don't know, the profoundness of what's yeah. being said. So just so happens I was reading this book earlier this year at a time where I think I was just open to it and it just hit me in a different way. So if you're listening right now and you're like, those don't sound that great, just come back to it in a year. <laughs> or, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that's what I would say. So before we go any further, that is just the timing of it for me was, was what made the difference. So I kind of, I want to start this one off with be impeccable with your words. So we have talked about this a lot at my job. So we talk about integrity because it matters a lot. And we were working with this company that suggested that we flub some integrity. Mm. You do some advertising, you don't necessarily lie, but you just don't tell the full truth. Like, oh, we've helped thousands of people lose hundreds of thousands of pounds. Here's some pictures that weren't our people. You know, um, it was like a marketing agency and they were like, here, we'll just give you all this stuff. Just do it and follow the plan and it'll work. And it didn't do well. No surprise. It was like disingenuine. Yeah. And it turns out that when you talk the way you normally talk, you attract people who like you better. And then you can be more yourself and that makes them happier. And those people are usually happier in general with you because they know what they were getting right off the bat. Yep. So that's a very specific example. And I think integrity right now is more important than ever. I don't want to go into politics, but like, yeah, politics. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I agree. Um, this one was a little, I wouldn't say it was hard for me, but I would just say that I've never really used that word impeccable very much before. And so 
hearing like, okay, be impeccable with your words. It took me a little bit to kind of like process what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I think the word you're using integrity really does sum it up. So it's not just like, don't tell a lie, but it's more so like, yeah, have a little bit of pride in what you're saying and stick to it. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to stand for something, stand for it, you know? All the time. You have to be like firm and it's who you are, not what you do. Yeah, exactly. So I think integrity is a good way to put that. Have integrity. And if you do it, I mean, obviously I I mess up all the time, but if you do it and you actually stick to that, if you are impeccable with what you're saying, think about the things you say all the time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. If you are impeccable with it, then you will do this and you will do that and you will accomplish a lot more than if you're just wishy-washy with it. Yeah, that's why this is the last five minutes that I'll talk the rest of my life. So can't be, you can be impeccable with your word if you never talk. Yes, you can be perfectly impeccable. Perfectly impeccable. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to say about that one? I just think this one's the hardest because just like you said, it's cool to say I, I'm going to do and I want to do. Maybe it's a good sign that people should say less and do a little bit more percentage of what you say so that you can slowly build up your tolerance to commitment to yourself. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things I, I kind of relate it to like, again, well, why can't you just say a bunch of stuff and accomplish some things but still be like, what's wrong with that? You accomplish some things, but you say more, what's wrong with that? But I think it kind of goes back to, have you ever heard of just, there's like this, uh, I I think it's Jordan Peterson. Have you ever heard of him? The name sounds familiar. He's fairly popular. He's an author. And I think he has a podcast as well, but he's a psychologist, whatever. He wrote this book called uh, something like the 12 rules or something. I don't know. Is it marketing? Is he a marketing guy? No, he's, he's like, a, I believe he's a clinical psychologist, but he has this book that came out within the past few years of like these 12 rules for life. Yes. 12 rules for life. There you go. One of the ones he has in there, and I don't think he's the first person to say this by any means, but one of the ones he has in there is something like make your bed in the morning. And it seems like, why do I have to make my bed? Why can't I be super successful and not make my bed? Uh, but the idea is that it just ingrains a way of being in you that is that I am just going to always, you know, keep a tight ship. I'm going to do, I'm going to keep things orderly and it doesn't seem like it's going to have a huge impact, but every day I'm accomplishing that one little tiny goal Yep. and it's building discipline within me. It's building a habit and that's going to over time manifest itself in other ways. So I think that's kind of how this be impeccable with your words rule is or agreement is because it doesn't seem like, why can't I just say I'm going to do this and then not do it? You know, it's not hurting anybody. It's just, I didn't accomplish my goal, but that chips away at you over time, you know? Yeah. And I want more people to do, I don't mean this like an offensive way, but like I want more people to do what they say they're going to do because there are so many cool things that people have ideas for. Uh huh. And I just want more cool stuff. I agree. Yeah. And the more 
I think the more you say something, the more potential you have to bring it into being. So if you're saying a bunch of different things, let's just narrow your focus and limit how much energy you're spending. I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to start a business about finance. I'm actually going to start a business about crypto. I'm going to start a fitness company. Like pick one, put more energy towards it and it'll manifest. I think your energy will go towards that one thing. And I don't mean energy like, Ooh, energy. Like you think about something and your mind puts more attention towards it. You have more bandwidth. 100%. I, I think I'm skipping um, agreements here, but just going off of what you just said, because I think about this all the time. I'm somebody who can easily get pulled in like five different directions. And I, I think about that and I think about what you just said. And a lot of people say that they say, focus on one thing, you know, that'll obviously be the best chance of getting good at something. But I don't know the one thing that I, this is agreement number four, do the best you can or yeah. do your best, you know? So basically the takeaway from that is not to judge yourself so harshly when you don't mm -hmm. stick to the other agreements. And so for me, that's kind of how I approach that specific situation you're talking about. I get pulled in five different directions. And I know, Ty, if you just committed to this, that, or that, that you'd be way further along in any one of those domains right now, just if you picked one. But I just, I don't know. I just enjoy the multifaceted approach. And so I don't judge myself so harshly when I know that I'm not doing maybe the most efficient thing. So yeah. are you putting the max, are you doing your best in all five of those things? Not saying you could do better, but with the energy that you have, are you doing the best that you can? Yes, always. So to me, I think you're checking off box number four. Unless I, you're like half-assing two things because you just don't feel like it today. Right, 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 for sure. No, I, that's, a, that's what I'm saying is I agree. I think I am doing number four and that's why I don't, judge myself for not being further along in this domain or that domain because mm -hmm. i kind of enjoy how i'm doing it and i also have this faith that yes it'll take longer but eventually i'm going to be proficient enough in these different areas and then connections will form that otherwise wouldn't have been able to yeah. if i was only in one domain so that's kind of my approach so i feel like i'm doing the best i can <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's doing the best that you can is hard if you work for someone else. It's hard if you answered or someone's like, oh, you didn't do as well as I thought. But what's good to know is sometimes your best effort isn't good enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes your best is not good enough. And that would be if uh, that would be a sign to me that you're focusing on too many things and it is having a negative impact. What if you're just not good at something? Or if you're just not good at something. Sometimes we have to have these conversations. Yeah. And, and it's okay to be bad at something. And it's okay to be bad at something after you've tried to be good at something. If yeah. you did try your best and you're still bad at it, pick something else. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's more fun. I do want to go back to the other two because we, you know, I yeah, definitely couldn't help myself skip ahead there. But 
What's the, which one is the second one again? Don't take anything personally. And actually Tim Ferriss has said another one, another continuation of this. Don't attribute. Hanlon's in- razor. Yeah. Is that, what is it? What is it? Hanlon's razor. That's Give the, it to me. It's exactly what you're just saying. Do not attribute to malice what could otherwise be explained by stupidity. Yeah. Or incompetence. Or incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that follow-up. And I think it's like that resonates with me so much more. Dude, I first heard that, I don't know, maybe five years ago, something in that range. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Yeah. And I always go to this most simple example of somebody cutting you off when you're driving. Mm -hmm. It's like 99 times out of 100, actually 100 times out of 100, it wasn't that they just didn't like you and they wanted to make you crash. You know what I mean? They're just not doing their best driving. Or maybe, yeah, that's probably fair. Or they are and they're just bad at it. They're just bad at it. But like 99 times out of 100, they didn't even see you. You know, it had nothing to do with you. And yeah, in that situation, to keep myself calm, I have these two thoughts and it depends. It's random which one comes up. But one of them is, that person totally shit themselves and they really need to get home. Dude, dude, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Like it's already in their pants. They're just trying. It's too late. They're suffering and they need somewhere to go. You can cut me off. That is yeah, okay. Please. And then the other one is that person got their eyes dilated and didn't have a ride. Cause I have been there and you <laughs> cannot see anything. And that's why you shouldn't be driving. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. They give you those like brick wall sunglasses and it's still too bright. Uh Uh-huh. That's funny, man. But yeah, I love that. And when I read this book earlier this year, when I read Don't Take Anything Personally, Mm -hmm. that's immediately what popped into my mind was that don't attribute to malice quote. Mm -hmm. That's immediately popped into my mind. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is it. Like, you know, this is definitely something to live by. It just calms you down a notch because you being angry is going to solve nothing. Yeah, because most people, when they do whatever it is that they do in their life, regardless of what level of impact it has on you, they weren't thinking about you. (laughs) You know, they didn't do this to do something negative to you. They didn't take your client at the gym so that way you wouldn't have a client. You know, it wasn't because they don't like you or you know they didn't take the last pizza slice because they think you're fat and you need to lose weight you know what i mean maybe they did i don't know you have some different friends than i do (laughs) but you know what i'm saying right like yeah it almost never has anything to do with you Mm -hmm. almost almost but still don't take it personally especially if it's work related because so many people i know get fired up at work in a bad way yeah and that you just go into work clocking in clocking out no one really cares about you in a good or bad way they're yeah. just doing their thing and you're just something that they have to deal with as part of their job yep exactly totally agree so i do love this one and i think that live by it for sure yeah and i mean these four tie into each other right so don't make assumptions I'm not assuming that person cut me off because they think I cut them off. I'm actually making this imaginary play in my head that they have poop in their pants. Yep. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know that one does tie into the other one really well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's a little bit of a difference, right? So, I mean, the second part that we slapped in, the fifth point is, you know, don't attribute to malice. That kind of summarizes a couple, the middle two by themselves. Yeah, it does. It does. It ties them both together. Um, but yeah, I liked, I liked the book in general. It was an easy read. You know, the big, big words or the letters are big, not that many pages. Yeah. But I am happy to support Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah, same. I there was one part of the book. I'm gonna assume, although I'm not supposed to, I'm going to assume that it was in the "Don't take anything personally" chapter. But this one that it's still it's the same thing we've been saying, but just the way he kind of framed it uh, was another just a different perspective to look at it. And it was along the lines of when people judge you, when they think you're doing, I mean, I guess good or bad, it could be either way, whenever they make a judgment about you, but typically we care about negative judgments. So whenever they're saying like, you shouldn't be doing this type of thing with your life, or you shouldn't have done that, or you should do this, that, the other thing, they're judging you from what they believe the world is supposed to be like from how they believe the world is supposed to operate and so you have to just recognize that we all have different beliefs on how the world should be and how life should be and how happiness and what a career should be and this that and the other thing and so when you somebody is giving you judgment or criticism you just have to know that it's coming from their perspective the way they view things and it might not have any anything to do with how you uh with the way you want to live your life really so i think that's just a powerful kind of thing to understand is that everybody's coming from their own perspective and if i'm telling you that you shouldn't be you know spending all this time on the weekends doing that thing or that thing that's just because i have a different view of life than you yeah and you still want me to be a winner right you want me to be healthy and happy it's just how you see me healthy and happy in your own world. Exactly. So I, I do, you know, I actually want the best for you, but my advice is not applicable or less applicable to you yourself. Exactly. I think everyone should read this book or you can take the four principles and just watch a couple YouTube videos about them. And I think you'll get the gist of it, but. And, but I would recommend reading it. Mm -hmm. I've, I've listened I think uh, when it comes to books, anything that's like self-development or in that realm, you got to actually read the book and go on the journey with the author. Nice. You know? That's some good advice because I, I very much value a book, paper in my hands. It adds yeah. a lot to the experience. Yeah, me too, for sure. Well, that's all I have for today. Ty, it was been, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I uh, thank you guys for listening. Hope you got something out of this talking about coaching and nutrition and this wonderful book. So for everything we talked about, there'll be a link in the show notes. Yes. Awesome. Click on them, subscribe, yeah. like, share, comment, all that fancy stuff. And thank you to our sponsor air for keeping everything light and comfortable. Yes, have you been out of breath recently in your conditioning workouts? Try air. Air.
Highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you guys.